Amen. Thank you, Pastor Brian. Well, again, uh, welcome to Oak Park Baptist Church. If you're just now tuning in, my name is Pastor Chase, and we're about to open up God's Word together, and so I want to invite you to do so by taking your copy of the Scriptures and opening up them up to Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to read verses 24 through 43. Matthew 13, verses 24 through 43. These are the parables of Jesus, particularly parables on the kingdom. And Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping... His enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And so the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you uproot the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like grain, a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables, and I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Well, during this uh, COVID-19 crisis, I don't know about you, but it's become rather taxing, hasn't it? Uh, We're a little tired of this. We're going seven or eight weeks strong of quarantining and, and, and not being able to do the things that we are used to being able to do. Um, but it, it, become ta- it can become taxing, and I think partly because it, it's like running a race without knowing where the finish line is. Uh, sure, at the very beginning, maybe there's a bit of excitement, but when you're in the middle of it and you begin to feel the pain of the race, you begin to wonder, well, how much longer do I have to run? And, and the challenge for us, until at least recently, 
has been we don't really have a clue when this is going to end. Even with uh, Governor Holcomb's uh, statement that he hopes to open up the whole state by July 4th weekend, um, that's all contingent if there aren't any spikes going on. And so there's still a sense, while, while maybe we have a glimmer of hope that this is coming to a conclusion, coming to an end, there's still a sense we're running a race without a clear, definite finish line. And that can make it hard because when you don't know the finish line, you don't know, do I want to put the energy to, to, to finish that race or do I just want to quit? In a far greater way, I think that's similar to how it's like to run the life of the Christian race. Most of us have been running this race for, for, for many years, or, uh, but whether you've been running for a short period of time or a long period of time, we're all in the same boat in that we do not know where the finish line lies. We, we don't know how farther we have to run, no matter, matter if we've just started running or if we've been running for years. And so as a result, we often can become weary, can't we? We can become weary in our Christian walk and, and living the Christian life. Particularly, we become weary of fighting those reoccurring battles of sin and temptation that, that seem to afflict us. And maybe for a season, oh my, it's like we're going downhill. This is going smoother, but then we, we face another hill. We wonder how many times are we going to have to do this? Or, or we've just become tired of the, the various trials and, and troubles that may afflict us. Or we may lose energy to stay on focus, to stay on mission, to carry out the Great Commission and to share the gospel with the lost. And we, we might become numb to the fact that, that people don't know Jesus because we're just kind of used to that. Or maybe we've just become tired trying to fight for joy, to pursue joy in Christ. We're just like, why does it have to be such a battle? Why, why is it all the time that my heart seems to wander so easily? And, 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 and many times we just want to say, I just want to rest. I just want to stop running. But how much easier would it be if we could see the finish line? Okay, yeah, it's a little ways off, but I think I can make it. But that's not how it is, right? We don't see the finish line. And so the Christian life can become exhausting sometimes for us. Maybe you are exhausted right now. Maybe you're, you're thinking just about raising your children in the faith. That, maybe you're exhausted already from, from that, let alone what happens after that. Or, or maybe you're in later stages of your life and you've been wa walking, you've been running this race, and you're wondering, how much longer, Lord? Well, it can become exhausting, particularly when we lose sight of the prize, when we lose sight of the kingdom and particularly, this is, this is easy to do because we are looking to a kingdom that right now cannot be seen. We're looking to a kingdom that is invisible to the natural eye. And so this is where Jesus' parables uh, help us out. They serve us well. Now, they don't explicitly tell us the timing of things. They don't lay things out in, in super detail, nor do they tell us how long the race will last. They don't tell us when will the kingdom be appear, uh, appear, when will the harvest come. But they do give us a heads up as to the terrain that which we will encounter. And in doing so, it shouldn't surprise us we encounter various trials of many kinds. 
Whereas the parables last week, if you joined us, we, we started these parables in, in, in verse 1 of chapter 13. The, the parable that we looked at last week, the parable of the sower, the main emphasis in that parable was uh, the need for understanding, having a genuine and right understanding of the kingdom. In fact, we saw that there were, were four different responses to the kingdom, three of which did not have a right understanding because the seeds of the gospel did not take root in their heart. Well, this Sunday we're going to look at three parables. And these parables further our understanding of the kingdom, particularly giving us insight that the kingdom is growing, or giving us insight that the kingdom is growing even when we cannot necessarily see it. They give us insight into the nature of the kingdom. Particularly, what we're going to see is that the kingdom is coming in two stages. There's the present manifestation or the present reality of the kingdom, and then there's a future reality to the kingdom where all things are going to be revealed. And with this kingdom insight, understanding that there are kind of two stages to this kingdom, we can encourage one another with these truths. We can remind each other, particularly when we're facing various trials, when we're reoccurring battles with sin, when we are struggling to find joy in the things of the Lord, we can rest in the promises of this text. And we won't become as weary or so weary that we would give up, but actually remain steadfast and faithful to Christ and His kingdom purposes. So with that end in mind, my goal for us this morning is that we would grow in our confidence in God's kingdom purposes. I want us to grow in confidence, and that, that's difficult because we can't see it, right? So I want us to grow in confidence in God's kingdom purposes so that we would be armed with patient endurance as we run toward the future glory that we're going to see is going to be revealed in us. I want us to not grow weary in following Jesus, even though we cannot see him right now. And so in order for us to be armed with patient endurance, what I want us to see and what us to discern is the mystery of the kingdom's present humiliation and two, the mystery of the kingdom's future exaltation. We're going to take this passage into two points. And just as we're about to dive in, I want you to know that Typically, when I preach, I go through line by line, verse by verse, and, and, and the logic of the passage just kind of goes linear. Well, well, in these parables, Jesus particularly is giving three of them, and, and they're like a, a collage. They're like a, a picture that we need to take all at once to see the truths that they're revealing. And so it doesn't suit us well to go verse by verse. You can kind of see how it's broken down. The parable of the weeds is, is 24 through 30, but he doesn't give the explanation to the end. He kind of bookends it. And so I've tried to help us organize this passage under these two headings. And the first one is the kingdom's present humiliation. And by humiliation, what do I, what do I mean? I mean that at the present time, the time in which we are living the kingdom of God, it appears to be what? It appears to be weak. It appears to be small. 
it appears to be foolish, especially when you compare it to the kingdoms of this world. And so, as sons and daughters of the kingdom, we often feel this humiliation, don't we? We feel this weakness. We feel like we're small. We feel like we're foolish compared to the world. We feel like this because the glory that's promised to us is not yet revealed. It's not yet visible. In fact, as, as the whole, all these parables are re-emphasizing is the kingdom that we are a citizen of is actually hidden. It's hidden to the visible eye. And so the real reality is we can feel like wackos, can't we? We can feel like wackos, yet we are, we are sold out for the kingdom of, of God. We are kingdom citizens. We're doing kingdom work. And someone who does not know Christ, who does not have the gospel taken root in their heart, they're thinking, what kingdom are you talking about? There's no kingdom. Just look around. The kingdom you're talking about is not here. It can't be seen. It can't be touched. And so Jesus is, is telling us these parables because he wants us to know that in some sense, these feelings we have of inadequacy, weakness, smallness, foolishness, they are to be expected. They are to be expected because the kingdom is hidden at this time. It's hidden. And the hiddenness of the kingdom is emphasized throughout these three parables, particularly the shorter ones. And that's where I want to turn our attention to right now, verses 31 through 33. Now, I want you to notice that, that Jesus is likening the kingdom. Each of them say the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he gives a parable or he gives an analogy. And, and here in verse 31, notice what he likens the kingdom to. He likens it to a mustard seed, which is planted into the ground. And he says in verse 32 that mustard seeds are very, very small. Do you see that? Now, what's Jesus doing? He's likening his kingdom to something small. Now, this isn't what you would expect of a triumphant king. When you're talking about your kingdom, you want to compare it to something big. You want to compare it to something large. You want to say it's better than all the kingdoms that you see. However, Jesus doesn't do that. He does something similar again in verse 33. He, he then compares his kingdom to like a woman who's making bread. And he says it's like the leaven that is put into three measures of flour. And now again, three measures, actually it was about 50 to 60 pounds of dough, of flour. And then you just had this fine piece of leaven left over from the previous uh, loaves that were cooked the day before. And this little leaven is placed in this mound of dough. It's, it's consumed by it. You can't see it anymore. And so do you see the contrast that Jesus is, is preparing? At the present time, the kingdom's small. The kingdom is hidden and is especially hidden in this world in the field that he describes. But it's not only small and hidden, but what we're going to see as we consider these parables is that it's also opposed. It's not just that we're small and hiding, but there is an enemy. There is someone who is seeking to destroy us. And so when you come back to the initial parable of the weeds, 
We consider this, that, that, that the, the sower of the, the farmer, if you will, is sowing his seeds, and, and presumably he does it through these servants who become tired, we see verse 25. And while they were sleeping, they had, they had worked hard, they had done the work of their, their, their master, they had sowed the seeds, in the middle of the night there was a sinister figure, an enemy who comes in stealthily and sows weeds into their farm. So it's weeds, particularly in the midst of the wheat. Now, I mean, how messed up is that? Maybe you've been working on your yard and imagining your neighbor in the middle of the night where you've worked so hard to, to put new soil down, goes and, and shakes some dandelion uh, seeds all over your yard or found some weeds and began to uh, put in some crabgrass. That would be rather messed up, wouldn't it? Well, that's the picture that we see here. And what Jesus is describing here, obviously, we get the interpretation later in the passage, is that this is a picture of the kingdom and the work of the kingdom at the present time. And, and Jesus is the sower, and he's sowing the church. He, he's doing this through the work of his servants as we preaching and sharing the gospel in the world. However, Satan is also at work. He's the enemy. He's the, the evil one. And he is seeking to corrupt the work of the servant. It's interesting here that the disciples or the servants ask him in verse uh, 28 uh, or 27, uh, did you not grow so good seed? And this is just a reminder that our Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, our God is a good God. He says, I did do what was good, but there is an enemy who has done what is evil. And again, we're seeing, what, what is evil? It's the corruption of what is good. It's spoiled goodness. And so Satan has his counterfeit. And he goes in and he begins to sow his weeds into the work of the kingdom. And who are the weeds? Well, well Jesus tells us they are the sons of the evil one. They're the children of this world. They're the, the citizens of this kingdom. And those, those, frankly, are those who do not trust Christ. All people who do not put their faith and trust in Christ are citizens of this other kingdom that is opposed to the kingdom of heaven. And so what Jesus is telling us here, and something that we need to realize, is that, that there is a real enemy. And that this kingdom that we are a part of is really being opposed. And how does he oppose it? Well, well he opposes it both from, without, from the outside and from within. But I think Jesus is particularly highlighting the threat from within. Notice that when uh, the men were sleeping, verse 25, the enemy came and sowed weeds. Where did he do it? Among the wheat. He didn't just do it in the field. He does it among the wheat. And so this enemy that we are facing is seeking to destroy the work of God. And, and, and what do we, we think of this in, in the church? And he does that through false con converts and false teachers who, who infiltrate, who come into the church, who are among the church, who seek to destroy and frustrate the mission of the church. Now just come back to this analogy of, of, of landscaping and, and, and planting and working in your yard. Maybe you have a yard and maybe you found a little bit more time to do so. Uh, during this quarantine time. 
But isn't it amazing that it's so much more difficult to get the right things to grow, and it seems to be so easy that the weeds grow. I mean, I was walking through my yard, and I've been tending to it. I'm not too crazy about it, but anyway, I'm trying to tend to it, but I've got patches where grass is struggling to grow. But then I walk by uh, one of our, our, our little flower beds, and we've got pebbles and rocks, and you know what's coming up through the rocks? Weeds. They come up through the rocks, and I'm like... I wish my grass could grow as easy as the weeds. The weeds don't need good soil. They can just pop up. The the weeds can be on the hard hard paths. They can grow up in my driveway, for goodness sake. They can grow up everywhere. But it seems so difficult to get the right things to grow. This is the analogy that Jesus is trying to paint the picture of. The kingdom of heaven is like this right now. We're trying to sow good seed. We're trying to to grow the right things, but but there's opposition. There's difficulty in this terrain. It's rough terrain. And this is actually the same point that Jesus made earlier in chapter 11, verse 12, when he said, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And violence people take it by force. What Jesus is saying is that in this stage of the kingdom, the present humiliation of the kingdom, the kingdom's going to suffer. The work that we're doing is going to be difficult. It's, it's not always going to be roses. It's not always going to be smooth sailing. And, that, and that's something that I think we often forget. doesn't mean there's no joy in the Christian life. But Jesus is preparing us and saying, no, right now you aren't living your best life. This isn't it. This isn't health, wealth, and prosperity, and if you're faithful enough, you you will be living in abundance. No, no, actually Jesus paints a very different picture. He says he paints a picture of difficulty, of opposition, of smallness, of hiddenness, insignificance. And yet, what is the message of our world? Why would you want to be a part of that kingdom? Come be a part of ours, where you can be somebody, where you can have all that you want. You can have significance. You won't be small. You won't be hidden. We will hear your voice. All these things seeking to appeal to you. Well, that's the evil one, seeking to sow weeds in among the wheat. Now, just think about last week. This makes a lot of sense, right? These parables come on the heels of the parable of the sower where we saw three of the four soils were not good for the seed to take root into the ground. And and what did we find? That these didn't bear fruit, they didn't understand, they didn't grow. Now what's interesting here in verse 25 when it says, and the enemy came and sowed weeds. The the particular type of weed was was one that that was... uh, that was familiar, at least, to Jesus' audience. And, and this weed, at least in the early stages, looked just like wheat. So before the heads of grain would come up, it would look like blades of grass. And it would look just like the wheat until the heads of grain would come up. And then you would know, oh, we have weeds in the midst of the wheat. And so you see that in verse uh, 26. And so when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. Then the weeds appeared also. What is Jesus 
saying, this is what we've learned elsewhere in Matthew 7, that you will recognize false converts, false teachers. Why? How? By their fruit, by what they produce. Maybe at the very beginning, similar to, to maybe some of the soils of the parable last week, oh, they, they look the same. There seems to be initial growth. There seems to be an initial response to the gospel. But over time, you see, are they really following Jesus? Or do they fall away? And so Jesus is saying there's going to be weeds in the midst of the wheat. And so this raises the question for us, okay, well, what do we do in light of this reality? How, how do we combat this opposition brought against us? Well, we might initially think, just like keeping with our gardening analogy, well, what do you do? You get your roundup, and you, you weed those things out. You, get, you pluck them up. You, you eliminate them. You destroy them. That's what the sowers here say in verse, or the servants say in verse 28. They come, and they say, then do you want us to go and gather them? Gather the wheat, or the weeds, I mean. Do you want us to do that? But the master says something rather strange. He says in verse 29, no, I don't want you to go round up the weeds. I don't want you to pluck them up. Why? He says, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. He says, let them grow together. I mean, this is absurd, actually. No farmer would do this. You don't do this in your own yard. But yet Jesus is telling us things to, to give us insight into the kingdom, something different. Oh, Jesus' kingdom operates a little bit differently. And so Jesus says at the present time, there is an enemy at work against us. And so what is he telling us here not rooting up the weeds? He's saying, though there is an enemy, we aren't to take matters in our own hands to stamp him out. We're not to take matters into our own hands. And, and so like the Sermon on the Mount, what did Jesus say? We're to love our enemies. We're to turn the other cheek. We're to go the extra mile. Have they asked for our shirt? Let's give them our coat as well. We pray for them who persecute us. We seek to serve those. We love our enemies. Why would we do that? Well, Jesus tells us elsewhere in Matthew 5, 38, For blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all sorts of evil against you falsely on my account. For great is your reward in heaven. That's Matthew 5, 11, and 12. Blessed are you when you are persecuted and reviled. Why? Because it's reminding you and it's preparing you for eternal weight of glory. Because your reward is great, not here, in heaven. And so what is Jesus calling us to do? What am I now trying to press into us right now? I'm trying to get us to realize that Jesus is calling us to embrace the weakness of the kingdom. Not fight it, to embrace it. And I want to give you two reasons. The first one's a little bit longer, and then the second one's shorter. Two reasons why we are to embrace the weakness of the kingdom, the humiliation of the kingdom. And the first reason is, thinking about this, taking matters in our own hands, Jesus is, is telling us that we do not possess the wisdom to weed people out. We don't have the, the, the wisdom. Why? Because we can't see people's hearts. Yes, we can see their fruit, 
But that's even limited in what we can do. And so if we start taking matters into our own hands, particularly here, exercising vengeance. I mean, just think about the threat. Eliminate evil people, right? And and in our political climate, I see Christians calling for this type of stuff. But this isn't the way of the kingdom of Christ. He doesn't call us to take arms. He calls us to lay down our life. And the reason being is is that we will end up uprooting the wheat as well. I like what John MacArthur says. He says, the problem with the church getting too connected with politics is that we turn the mission field into the enemy. Some of us are more concerned about our political platform than we are about winning people to Jesus. And we're killing them. We're taking matters into our own hands. I'm not saying don't have your position. I'm saying don't try to weed them out. You have a bigger mission at stake. You have a bigger kingdom to to worry about. This kingdom is passing away. Do you see the message of this parable? Let him who has ears, let him hear, Jesus says. And so this speaks against the church taking up the sword which sadly has characterized many periods of church history. And what a stain it has left upon the history of the church, right? I mean, we just think about, this is one of the the things that many people will turn to, to say, this is why I don't believe in Jesus. This is why I can't trust the church. Because they've seen the, the bloodbaths between Protestants and Catholics, where literally nations would go and slaughter each other and put them under their reign. The same thing would happen with Protestants against Protestants. The Reformed Church versus the Anabaptists. You know what they do to the Anabaptists? Oh, because you don't baptize right, we'll drown you. We'll we'll give you a baptism. You won't forget this one. And they began to burn heretics at the stake. We think of here in our own state, the Salem witch trials. And Jesus is saying right here, you do not possess the wisdom to exercise the sword. Yes, the government does. And I'm not trying to get into that relationship today. That's another sermon. But I want us to think about, as kingdom citizens, what is our mission? What do we want people to know about us? I could care less what they think about my politics. I want them to know that I'm not their enemy. I want them to know that Jesus has open arms and is offering them a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I don't care if I can convince them of other things. Don't care. Even though the evil is great, right? We can see it. Jesus says you can't root them out because here's the deal. You don't know what the Lord's doing in their life right now. And you begin to weed them out. However, we we take matters into our own hands. And you might just be destroying wheat, wheat that you don't yet see. You might be a stumbling block to them coming to faith in Christ because you took matters into your own hands. I love this quote from Martin Luther. Martin Luther says, The church cannot be without evil people. Those fanatics who don't want to tolerate any weeds end up with no weed either. What a word for us as a church. Those 
who are so fanatical, we got to be careful that we don't become fanatical, who cannot tolerate evil people, want to stamp them all out, well, guess what? You won't have any weed either. We're learning something about the nature of the kingdom right now. I know the, the impulse it is to execute vengeance, to stop evil, and we should have those impulses. But how we respond makes all the difference, and it will make a difference if you understand the kingdom, the mystery of the kingdom. If you don't get this and you don't believe Jesus, well, then you'll go all in in trying to establish your political ideology, and you will make that your gospel. Same thing can happen just even here in the church. Maybe an overzealousness of us trying to create a pure church. Now, we want churches, primary believers. We want the church to be filled with the saints, but we can go overboard in trying to go beyond what the Scripture actually um, says, trying to peer into the hearts of men and women that, that maybe we set the bar too high. So that sinners can't come in, those who are truly wheat, who've confessed with their lips that Jesus is Lord, they believe in the heart that God raises them from the dead, but yet they still got a sanctification road to go down, but we just see the mess. I say, oh no, unless you reach this standard, you can't come in. We got to be careful of that. And, and so on the other side, a brother or sister falls into sin. There can become a culture of, well, we got to purge the evil from within us. And, and we can become trigger happy with church discipline and run somebody out and, and come to conclusions, well, they must not know the Lord if they did that. And Jesus gives us a word of caution to guard against developing an overzealous expectation for a pure church. Now, there's an enemy. And the problem is, yeah, yeah, there is enemy, and there will be evil people, but you and I won't have perfect eyes to discern in every situation. Now, we'll come to church discipline here in just a couple of chapters in, in chapter 18. It doesn't mean we don't do it. It just is a, a counter to us. And so this doesn't mean we don't take sin seriously. It just means that we recognize there's limits to what we can do. And we entrust these things to Christ who's reigning from his throne in heaven. We entrust the vengeance in this society. We entrust that he is uh, setting up kings and kingdoms and, and removing them. And he is accomplishing all his purposes. And we trust that as we are being faithful to preach the word and being prayful, faithful to, to admit people into membership on a credible profession of faith, yes, the church by and large will be made up of believers. But you know what? Sometimes we'll unintentionally baptize weeds. We'll unintentionally vote in some weeds. We don't do it on purpose, but it's going to happen. But we cannot police every heart. Can't do it. Or else you'll make devastating mistakes. So that was the first reason that Jesus calls us to embrace the weakness of the kingdom or, or, or the humiliation of the kingdom. But the second one, and this one's a little shorter, the second reason Jesus calls us to embrace the weakness of the kingdom is because the kingdom grows through humility and sacrifice. And this is where I am pleading with us to see this. And this, every fiber of our being says, no, I don't like that. I like to be in control. I like to take matters into my own hands. But Jesus is showing us actually 
We're just the servants. We got to remember that. The Son of Man is the one who sows. And we do his bidding. And he is telling us, no, let them grow up together. Let them grow up. Why? Because what he's seeking to accomplish happens through these means. The kingdom, he's telling us, grows through humility and sacrifice. Though the kingdom seems small, though the kingdom is hidden, and we so badly want to to bust out and show its glory, though it's small and hidden, it is growing. You are growing. The kingdom's growing, and you as a citizen of the kingdom are growing. See, the mystery of the kingdom is the mystery of the cross. All these things only make sense when we look at it, when we finish Matthew, when we see the the cross, right? And how does Jesus establish this kingdom? Through his death, then resurrection. Suffering, then glory. So it's the same for us. That matches the two stages of the kingdom. And so in the same way, what are we doing now? We, too, are taking up our cross. We're bearing the stigma of the cross. And we're dying to ourselves and being opposed by the kingdom of this world. And we turn the other cheek. We go the extra mile. We pray for our enemies. We love them. Because we are sold on a kingdom that is to come. But even as we die to ourselves, and even as we go through the opposition, it's through our struggle. That's why we need to embrace it. It's actually through the struggle and through our weakness. This is what is bringing me great comfort right now. I'm looking at an, by and large, empty church. There is nothing, really, that we can do. But yet, we're trusting the means of His Word to go out through this medium. It looks weak. It looks small. It's hidden. But yet this is when God does his best work. When we are utterly helpless. And it's through this that the kingdom begins to grow. This is the mystery of the kingdom. It mirrors the mystery of the cross. Life comes through death. Exaltation comes through humiliation. So this leads to our second point. First point. We need to discern the mystery of the kingdom's present humiliation. You have to get that, or else you'll get things all whacked out. But that's not it. We must discern the mystery of the kingdom's future exaltation. Though the present time, the kingdom is hidden from our eyes, and and it suffers violence of various forms, it will one day be revealed in glory filling the whole earth. It will. And so as you can see in these parables, there's a clear distinction of between what's happening now and waiting, as Jesus says, till the harvest comes. Now just think for a moment, pre-COVID-19, eight weeks ago, most of us had no idea this would be the situation we were in. We were living, doing the normal things that we do, planning activities, planning vacations this summer, planning all sorts of events, and in a matter of weeks or a week and hours, days, all things change, right? And that should just be a a simple lesson to us 
that things can change. And this is what Jesus is wanting us to know. That everything is going to change one day. It's not going to take hours. It's not going to take weeks. It's going to happen in a twinkling of an eye. It's going to happen like a thief coming in the night. It's going to happen at any moment that Jesus will appear and everything will change. See, Jesus is calling us to patient endurance, right? Wait until the harvest. Wait until that day when everything will be changed and it will be changed for yours and my good. So what are we waiting for? Well, first of all, we're waiting for this kingdom to be revealed. So just because the kingdom right now is like seed in the ground and it is hidden from our eyes, let, hear this, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It does exist, just not in its future form. It's as Jesus was saying as he would preach, the kingdom of heaven is near, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And though right now it's a seed, when the kingdom appears, it will be like what? A tree. A tree that is larger than all the trees and the plants in the garden. In the garden, the field that represents the world. It will grow bigger than any kingdom of this world. Look in verse 32. Talking about the mustard seed. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown... It is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. I want to unpack that just a little bit. Now, when we think of trees, we don't think too much of them. But in the ancient world, trees represented kingdoms. Now, you can just think they were, they're bursting with life. The birds, which represent the nations, could come. And, and if you had the, the biggest tree, well, the nations would come and, and gather shade under it and would find nutrients and build their homes and, and live. In fact, I encourage you, go read Daniel chapter 4. It's another dream of Nebuchadnezzar. And guess what his dream's about? A great tree that grows up and is larger than all the trees and all the birds of the air come. And then it's chopped down. And basically the dream is, yeah, Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to have a great kingdom for a while, and then it's going to be chopped down. Elsewhere, Israel is likened to an olive tree that is a vineyard, a luscious vineyard, and a garden. And all the birds of the air would enjoy the flowing wine that will come from it. But what does this mean? What is he talking about here? Is with this tree. Well, he's talking about his kingdom. It's going to be the largest of all the kingdoms. It means that his kingdom is going to be greater than all other kingdoms. And yet, it's starting small. We read in Daniel chapter 2 of a, of a stone that was cut out of a mountain that smashes the, the kingdoms of, of clay and iron and, and bronze, silver, and gold. It, it's like a little pebble in Daniel. It's a little pebble, a little rock, and it smashes all these kingdoms, and then it grows into a great mountain that fills the earth. It's just another analogy. Jesus just now uses a mustard seed. It's very small. It's in the ground. It's hidden, but it's growing underneath. It's growing. Things are happening where you cannot see. Same thing with 11 in verse 33. What's 11 doing? Leaven expands, and, and if there's a distinction to be made here, it transforms the dough, doesn't it? 
We are salt and light. We are, the, we are the light of the world. We are transforming people one at a time, heart by heart, into this kingdom. And as we do so, you know what? We're giving light to the kingdom. We're showing the kingdom to come. Uh, this world is better because we're here. The care, but in a far greater way, when Jesus comes, the world's going to be transformed. Like that leaven transforming the flour into bread. And it gives life to a whole village. It's going to be like the tree. And all the birds of the air, all the nations are going to be able to gather and find nourishment in this kingdom. So do you see the difference between the present expression of the kingdom and now the future? Right now, we do not exercise vengeance upon the world. We do not take matters in our own hands to kind of stamp out evil. We don't do that. But we wait until the harvest, verse 39. And at that time, what does Jesus say? The Son of Man will send His angels, who are the reapers, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. And what will He do? He will throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want you to see something. Maybe you missed in that verse that I love. He says, verse 41, Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and evildoers. What is he talking about? This world is his kingdom. He is ruling. It just doesn't look like it right now. But he is going to purge the weeds out of his field. This is his world. This is his kingdom, even though you may not see it. Right now, during the kind of quarantine time, we've been watching um, the Chronicles of Narnia with our, our kids, the, the remakes of that classic um, C.S. Lewis uh, trilogy. Um, actually, there's more than three, but I know that some of you people will be sticklers for me. But they made three movies out of the books. And I love, I've just loved going back over it again. And I, I was reminded last night of, of when uh, the children are there with uh, Mr. Beaver. And, and, and they are hopeless. And they're wondering what they're going to do about the White Witch. And, and, and Mr. Beaver, with great confidence, he says, well, Aslan's on the move. And then all the children are, are perplexed. But Mrs. Beaver is just giggling with joy because she's like, yes, Aslan's coming. And Edmund says, who's Aslan? Mr. Beaver is absolutely dumbfounded. He goes, He's only the, the king and the lord of the whole wide wood. As if you don't know, Aslan's the king. But in reality, Narnia is covered in snow and it looks like the white witch is ruling, but she's not. Mr. Beaver sees what they don't see. In the same way, as we dive into these, kingdom, these parables, we are seeing what the world does not see. This is his kingdom. And he's on the move. He is working. And so he's doing that for us today. And when he comes back, there is going to be a reckoning for evil. There's going to be a reckoning on that day. And as he says, every cause of sin. There will no longer be causes of sin. 
And we looked at that just a few weeks ago as we looked at, at Revelation 19 through 21. There will be a reckoning, and when that day comes, there will no longer be opposition to this kingdom because Satan and all those who oppose Christ, who have not now bowed their knee to trust Christ and put their faith in Him and say, I will follow you. I believe you are the Lord of my life, and I will give you my life. All of them will be like weeds bound up and thrown into the furnace. For Jesus says there will be everlasting sorrow and torment for their wickedness. But that day won't only be a day of judgment. It's not just a day of judgment, because we see here in verse 43 that it will also be a day of vindication. And that's where we struggle, right? We take matters in our own hands because we want to be vindicated. We want righteousness to be known. We want it to be enacted. We want things to be done, but it's not going to come through our Facebook posts. It's not going to come that way. No, it's going to come when he returns. And in verse 43, then the righteous, that's you and me, will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Oh, how glorious that's going to be. Guess what's going to happen when Jesus returns? Everybody's going to know that we are the children of God. Everyone's going to know that we were right. Not because of our opinion, but because we were proclaiming the king and his kingdom and his kingdom righteousness, and we were seeking that. Everyone will know, and everyone who has opposed that righteousness, who's called good evil and evil good, they will suffer the consequences. This is similar to what Jesus says again in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's who we are. Are you a peacemaker in this world? Are you, are you exuding the kingdom peace of this uh, that is to come? Are you offering that? Because right now is not the judgment. Right now it's, it's the year of the Lord's favor. We're extending it. And he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Why? For they shall be called sons of God. It will become evident who are the children of God on that day. Who were the peacemakers? And all that day, the whole world will know that the church, the righteous, all who have trusted in Jesus, that little, wimpy, weak, hidden kingdom, oh, they are the citizens of the kingdom that will last, that will not be destroyed. They are the true children of God. And he says, we're going to appear with him in glory. We're going to shine like the sun. The sun's so bright. And we're going to shine. Our glory will shine so bright because we will appear with Jesus in glory. And so like a seed, you and I are just seeds right now. Go read 1 Corinthians 15. And a seed, we die in the ground. We bury, but guess what? We transform. And we'll be raised in glory at the resurrection. That's the hope of this passage. This is the mystery of the kingdom. The one hand, at the present time, the kingdom reflects humiliation. But that's just God's plan to get glory and to call the weak and those who are hurting and those who mourn, those who are meek, those who, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Oh, those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, they will come to the one who extends his arm and says, I will give you rest. From the outset of this sermon, what my heart has been is to help us grow 
in our confidence in God's kingdom, not confidence in our own abilities. Our confidence in God's kingdom purposes in Christ so that we would be armed with patient endurance as we run to the future glory to be revealed in us. But right now you don't see the kingdom, do you? You don't see it, can't touch it, or being opposed, but I want you to rest assured that like seed in the ground, the kingdom of Christ is growing. It's growing in the hidden places among the little people. It's growing around through our, our missionaries that the world has no idea exist. It's growing as through the ministries of this church and the, and the hearts that are, are coming to believe. And every time the waters of baptism are stirred, that will never reach the newspaper. No one will really know what's going on, but we know that Jesus is on the move. And the kingdom is growing. It's, it's spreading like that leaven in the loaf. And so we don't want to become discouraged. Don't be discouraged when you feel weak, powerless, and ineffective in kingdom work. Christ's power is made perfect in our weakness. That's when he particularly gets glory. And so we can look to the mystery of the cross, knowing that in God's divine wisdom, he is bringing life out of our death, out of our suffering. And so these light momentary afflictions, what are they doing? They're preparing us for an eternal weight of glory, an eternal weight of glory. And so until then, we put our hope in the glory of God, a hope that will not put us to shame. It will not disappoint. Are you hoping in this kingdom? Are you trusting in this king? Because I pray that as you're hearing, you have ears to hear. As you're watching, you have eyes to see. And I'm praying that you have a heart to receive what the Spirit is saying through the gospel of Jesus Christ today. If you want to trust Jesus, let us know. Oakparkbaptist.com slash connect card. Let us know. I'd like to speak with the pastor. I want to follow Jesus. That's the only way I know. And we'd love to follow up with you. And we'd tell you how, how you can live as a citizen of this kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we do come to you and Lord, we do struggle. I struggle. Lord, I long for your kingdom to be seen. I long for vindication on that day. But Lord, you tell us to wait until the harvest. Wait. So Lord, I pray for us as a church. I pray that we can, in a good way, as this text puts before us, can tolerate evil people. Recognizing they aren't the enemy. They're in the mission field. And that your gospel would go forth from our lips, go forth from our homes, go forth uh, from the internet feed that's going out, and one day go forth as we disperse from these gatherings again. And Lord, may we trust that like leaven in a loaf, though we cannot see it, your kingdom is growing. And that one day it will be like a giant tree that fills the whole earth and all people, nations, and tongues who have trusted you have bowed the knee to you now. Oh, they will find safe haven in this tree, the tree of life. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.